Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We'll be delving into and analyzing the latest news around tech, geopolitics, finance, entrepreneurship, economics, global business, property law, philanthropy, and life. Uh, This podcast is available on all platforms. But for those of you who prefer to watch, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel. Please subscribe and you can watch all the interviews. Uh, You can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, And please do leave a review as it does help us to get the word out and about. My name is Ninda Johal. I'm the co-founder of the Natural Group, the Signature Awards and co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine. And I will be your host for the show. Uh, in this episode, I speak to specialist sales trainer and author Nigel Dunand about the importance of sales to an organization and why, without sales, organizations normally fail. But despite this, sales has an unsavory reputation. We discuss why is this the case? Uh, why is it difficult to recruit salespeople? Why is it difficult to retain salespeople? And above all, we discuss the art of leading and managing salespeople. So let's pop over and have a chat with Nigel and understand the world of sales and selling. Um, Today we're going to be talking about, um, actually no, before I tell you what we're talking about, Nigel, perhaps you could tell me why I'm talking to you about sales. Why am I going to be talking to you about sales? You're, you're managing director of Sandler Training. And Sandler Training are a US, US-based business who specialize in making selling easier um, and making selling something that you can train anybody in. So, so I suppose the first question, have I got a, do, do you want to tell me a bit about your background, what brought you into sales before we drill into? Yeah, sure. Um- Glad you asked. Uh, so I, I mean, I got into sales by accident. Okay. And I think whenever I talk to people that are in sales, yeah. uh, I hear a very similar story. Uh, my parents, uh, when they spent uh, quite a lot of money on me on a private education, okay, and then put me through university to get yeah. an engineering degree, yeah, um, the last thing they were hoping for was for Nigel to come out the other end of that as a salesperson. So my path into sales was, was by accident. I, I had an engineering degree. I worked for a very, um, uh, a very successful German industrial automation company. Yep. And found myself in a situation where they had very, very good engineers. If I wanted to get promoted in that company and, and had to beat them on the basis of my engineering skills, that was going to be a problem. So uh, I thought, well, I, 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 there's good, no, nothing else for it. I've got to at least have a shot at management. Okay. So I accepted a role with them, which was to set up the U.S. offices, uh, sales and distribution, thinking that that was my step into management. But of course, what was every single weekly meeting about? It was about sales. Mm. And so inadvertently, I, I found myself very much in a, in a, in a sales role. Pr- prior to that, uh, I had been working as uh, an applications engineer, sorting out customer problems with that we're using our product yeah but of course um even though the role was advertised as applications engineer 
it, it was essentially a sales job. You, you help people fix their problems, hoping they were going to buy m- more stuff from you. Uh, and sales, as we mentioned before in our preamble off camera, <laughs> is such a dirty word. People uh, really struggle to use, they'll say anything except sales. Oh, I'm in business development, I'm in marketing. Uh, but they hate to use the word sales. They didn't even use it on the job ad, knowing that it wouldn't attract the right sort of people. So they advertised initially for my first starter role with this company for applications engineers. So, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll pick up the whole thing around sales. And, yeah. So I'm just curious, uh, before we get into that, Yeah. how did you get into then recognizing that sales, I suppose the question is sales, can be taught. You can teach someone to be good at sales. I assume that's what you worked out and then thought, maybe I could be part of that journey explaining. Is that right? Yes, I I think a lot of people view sales as a, um, you know, you're either a born salesman or you're not. And if you talk to some of the most successful salespeople about that, they, it's not that they'll be insulted but what you're really doing is denigrating all the very hard work that they put into getting very good at what they do. Um, if sales is viewed as something that's, a, that's not, not a system, that's not a process, but it's just a wing it, humor the human, try to get people to like you, <laughs> uh, if you view it as that sort of process, then um, I would say that you, you probably are um, looking for someone that's got the gift of the gab. But, really good salespeople, they have a process, they have a systematic approach, and they get very good at what, at what they do through practice. Just as in any field of endeavor, to get good at something, you have to practice. And unfortunately, most salespeople, yeah. if you mention the word role play to them, the room will empty. Will empty. <laughs> I'll be uh, with them. They're, 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 everyone hates. Now, if you call it um, skills building, you might have few of the, the tougher people stay in the room because they do want to build their skills. And my belief is that, that just as um, you know, professional footballers, uh, the top musicians, anyone in any uh, field of endeavor, uh, let's pick football. How, how much time do those guys spend practicing versus playing? So, so taking your experience then, you just fell into sales, as you said. By accident. Into, by accident. You didn't have any formal training. No. So you progressed through the ranks selling. And at what point did the light bulb come on and say to you, well, hold on. Actually, I could have been taught this. And my mission now is to teach other people yeah. how to sell. What, 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 what triggered? Here, well, I had a couple of light bulb moments. Uh, one of the light bulb moments uh, occurred when I, I was a client of Sandler and um, I was speaking to my Sandler trainer, my Sandler coach, about uh, a couple of candidates I had for sales managers. Yep. One guy had, I said, and I, I spoke to my coach, I said, how, well, how come I'm finding it so difficult to choose between these two candidates? One guy's got 15 years of experience and the, and the other guy's got about less than 15 months of experience, um, blah, 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 and there's some other differences there. And um, my coach let me ramble on, and then he just asked me the following question. He said, Nigel, he says, the guy with 15 years of experience, does he really have 15 years of experience? Or has he had one year of experience 15 times? And 
when he when he asked me that question, at that moment, it, I I looked for about the, the the view of the candidate came into my mind and then puff disappeared and what I found myself looking at was me in the mirror. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I realised I had essentially all that experience that I thought I had. Really, I've been doing the same old stuff, just winging it, without a real system. And that's when that's when I just made a mental note. I'm I wrote a note down. <laughs> I am now going to I'm now going to uh, turn sales into a sales process, into a system. Something just like on a production from an engine, industrial engineering point of view. Um, on a production line, you have your inputs at the beginning, yeah. and of course, you, you can get you get predictable outcome with with the uh, product coming off the end of the production line at the end, and it's super predictable. Why isn't it like that in sales? In sales, it, it just seems like uh, if you're not careful, there's a lot of random activity, and fingers crossed, hope that you're going to get the result at the other end. But when I sat down and really took a look at the, the Sandler approach, and, I, and there are other approaches as well, but a systematic approach, yeah. I realized if you, have a, if you build a system like building a production line, you can get reproducible um, and Im improving results at the end. Does, does that make sense? So you can, um, with defined input in terms of time and effort and activity, run through the process, crank the handle on the process, and you will get a, 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 a predictable outcome. And that's what, that was the light bulb moment for me, when I realized it didn't have to be a wing it moment. Second light bulb moment was, I spoke to one of my sales managers. Um, how's, it going this, how's it going this quarter? Yeah, yeah. You know, how's it going this quarter? Usual. And he, and, and he, and he says, to me, he said, oh yeah, looking good, you know. I thought nothing of that conversation until 20 minutes later, I'm in our production department and I'm talking to our, uh, the, the head of production. How's it going this quarter? And he said, ah, Nigel, he says, we're going to be about a half a percent down. The reason being is we got let down with one of our suppliers on the delivery, so we're a little bit late. However, I'm going to make up for that by the end of next week by running a bit of overtime. We should then be smack on target. Now, I realized at that moment, if the production director had replied this in the same way that the sales manager had, oh, looking good, a vague answer like that, probably guy would probably be out of a job. Does that make sense? We hold, so I've got to ask myself, why do we hold other people in the organization to higher standards than, than the salespeople? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, we, yeah. We, salespeople can get away with um, a lot yeah, of wishy-washy yeah. stuff. I don't think it's the fault of the salesperson. I think it's the fault of the sales manager. But not but asking them the right questions. Does that but make sense? But, but I think the same tends to apply to marketing. <clears throat> so, you know, something's marketing. You've heard the adage, with advertising, we don't know which 50% works, which 50% doesn't. So yes. I, I think, and again, we're going to the roles of sales and marketing. <clears throat> it was interesting. I was um, interviewing uh, Dinesh Damaji. Um, he was the founder of eBookers. Yes. And then he did a, <clears throat> he exited with the flow, um, uh, sold out. And uh, he made a very point, uh, point. He said, without sales, you have no income to pay for the finance department, the HR department, and all the other departments. So if you take that into account, that revenue is what drives everything. 
<clears throat> why is it then when you think of sales you say Nigel sell me this pen so what, why why does everybody when they think of sales is you use the word wing it yeah. but you know they say sell me the pen so why is that if if I've just said sales is the cornerstone of everything why does it not have the prominence in, a, in, in an organization why is that yeah I love that and um, I just to echo your point here before I answer the question um, business really when you think about it it's very simple there's three parts to it there's the making sure we deliver what we say we're going to deliver there's the admin behind all of that and then there's the sales and it starts with sales yeah. does that make sense because yeah. if you got if you don't have the sales you've got nothing to deliver um, the you mentioned the 50% of all marketing money is wasted we just don't know which 50% that's right you know <laughs> which is an excuse to spend a lot of money on marketing but leaving that to one side the equivalent in sales is and I used to hear this a lot from my sales managers especially in America Nigel the thing you got to understand about sales is it's a numbers game right and everyone nods you know Oh, it's a numbers game. I, the mistake I made was I never bothered to ask them, well, if it's a numbers game, tell me, what's, what's the game and what are the numbers? Yeah. And, and so it comes down to not really be able to define that. Going back to your cheesy interview question from the 1980s, yeah. sell me this pen. That's right. That epitomizes, I think, the image that we have in our head of any uh, any salespeople that we we happen to encounter, and secondhand cars, car secondhand rooms. cars, yes, secondhand cars. Uh, second cars. I don't know if you've seen my latest video. But <laughs> no. I use that as an example. Secondhand cars, secondhand cars, and um, uh, fact, frankly, I have a lot of respect for secondhand car salespeople. Okay, they, they've got a really tough job to do tough because job. people assume that the person a buyer will assume that that salesperson is going to be the uh, epitomize the worst of any other salesperson they've ever had so they go in there yeah. with the, all the defense mechanisms that's right um so i think one of the one of the problems with sales is that we selling can make people feel very very uncomfortable being no one wants to be sold like no one wants to be sold we hate that pressure does that make sense yeah however we love to buy interesting is that, is that yeah and so the the sell me the pen is the epitome of the cheesy 1980s rah-rah sales stuff sell me the pen my now if you were to just have an uh, a conversation like two in two normal human beings yeah. yeah yeah if you were sitting down with your mate in the pub and they said well, they were to say if they said to you sell me this pen you, your mate in the pub who has is just going to be honest with you he's going to say why do you want a pen and now you're into a real conversation yeah but for some reason salespeople they put on their their sales armor you know the the briefcase the pen the 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 the, the daytime or the phone whatever it is yeah. they've got and they start acting salesy and that is a surefire way to have a very uncomfortable conversation with someone where both parties hold their cards very close to their chest. Very close. And the one thing that you don't do is uncover any truth, let alone build any trust. So um, what I loved about the Sandler system 
Um, we got lots of books, but in the, the 49 rules, rule number 16 is never ask for the order. Now, when I read that, I thought that was insane because I'd had 20 years of people saying the ABC of sales always be closing. But if you're always trying to close someone, people just dig in. The, the harder the close, the harder they resist, the harder the pushback you get. If you're just having a conversation with someone as a um, trusted advisor, when someone says, sell me the pen, you're naturally just going to say, really? Don't you already have a pen? Why would you, another, why would you want another pen? Now, in the sales world, what that might result in is an honest conversation with them. And they might say, yeah, but this one's just about to run out. <laughs> and, and I needed to sign that million dollar order. I mean, that's hypothetical, it would never happen. But do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 uh, and that's what I loved about the Sandler system. It's completely counterintuitive. It's uh, instead of um, persuading people, convincing people, there's only one person that can do the convincing, and that's the person themselves. So, so, Here's so, why I need a pen. So people say, um, I'm speaking up your com yeah. com uh, your conversation. They say some of the best deals are done in informal situations where people are just chatting, comfortable, and they're at ease. They don't yes. feel they're being sold to. Yes. Uh, and that's when they tend to do the deal, is when people are at ease, because you don't have that battle confrontation exactly. between a salesman and a purchaser yes okay so so going so going forward in terms of sales then so so we have the history of media always reminding people who've been ripped off by a sleeky salesman you know that's what they call them um so you have the media saying it you've had um what was the chap's name who was was he Arthur or something? He was selling second-hand cars. Arthur Daly. Arthur Daly. Arthur Daly. Selling second-hand cars. That doesn't help. That, by the way, that dates you for, for all the... Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I've seen some <laughs> of the repeats. They're great. Um, so, so you see that. Um, then you see um, that people realize it's not a great word, so they change it to business development. You then see that most boards don't appear to have a sales director or if they have one it's a sales and marketing director so you see all of this and you wonder well it's amazing how businesses even operate in that environment where sales is just not seen in a positive light yet at the outset we said it's the the big thing so so i suppose the couple of questions that immediately hit me to mind is that if sales is so crucial one how do you is it important, therefore, that the person at the top had, 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 has had some sales training? So that's the first question. And then further down the line, I'm going to explore how you spot a salesman. Okay. Uh, but how important is it then that the culture of an organization, I mean, you, as I said, you train yeah. people. So how do you identify that when there's somebody sitting in front of you, one of the business leaders or achieving, how do you identify how important they think sales is? Well, I, I think the, the business leaders, the, guy at the, the guys at the top of the organization, they know how important sales is because that, those are the numbers that they're tracking. Every, they know it's important. Their frustration often is that they don't know, um, they, they feel as though they should have some dials on their uh, control board <laughs> for their business for controlling sales. And what many of them find is that they have dials, but they're not really attached to anything. 
Um, so the question, I think, a, a lot of um, savvy business owners and, and senior people are asking is, what's our sales process? And I think if we can, for most organizations, if we can define the process and define uh, the, in, the ingredients that needs to go into that process and what all those activities are, uh, in the industrial engineering world, when we're looking at a production line, it's the standard operating procedure for each of those steps. And of course, the inspections that occur all along the way. If we can define our process uh, with the same sort of rigor that we'd apply to other areas of the business, then that makes the, the whole sales problem a lot simpler. Um, since Henry Ford invented the Model T and the production line, very few people, if any, really know how to build a car from start to finish. But you don't need to. If you, um, uh, you know, if you're on a production line of a, a modern car, well, okay, a, a fairly modern car plant. I was about to use a hubcap. I'll use hubcaps. Don't use hubcaps anymore. Yeah. But let's say you're no good at putting, you're, you don't have the skill set to put the hubcap on the wheel. You maybe do have the hub, uh, the skill to bring the hubcap to the hubcap putter on it. And you could apply this to any roll up and down the production line. So the, the purpose of the uh, senior people in an organization is to help everyone understand what, where they are in that production line of sales. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone in the organization, although they won't have sales on their card, they all have a role to play. It's all part of the culture. It, yes, and that is creating a proper sales culture. Does that make sense? So, but does that only work if the chap at the top understands that everybody's a sales person? Um, I think that a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders have unconscious competencies as well as conscious competencies. So someone might have that unconscious competency of understanding it's all about sales and getting everyone, creating a sales culture. Um, but it's so ingrained into them if you ask them that question, they're blind to it. It's just part of what they do. Does that make sense? Um, and that can be a huge frustration for a lot of people, that these blind spots. It's an unconscious competency. And therefore, they can't really describe it. So their second in command can't do what the boss does because the boss is unable to explain, hey, my, my, in my mind here, I believe that sales is the most important thing because he just gets that intuitively and hasn't bothered verbalizing it. Yeah, does, yeah, does, that, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so if, if you're driving that culture down, let's go right now to yes. recruiting people whose job is to sell. Yes. Just is to sell. Um, your first job was helping customers. You didn't realize it was sales, but it was sales. So if you're recruiting, a couple of things, can you spot a salesman when they walk through the door? And secondly, if they can't, if you can't spot one, is it obvious when you're chatting to them in an interview? Because, because you know, the, the churn in sales is just incredible. Can you, what are the kind of traits a salesman should have? And then we'll move on to personality yeah. types. But can you, can you, Nigel, can you spot a salesman straight away? Okay. So let me answer that question in two parts. Go on. So uh, going back to blind spots. Yeah. I think one of the, common blind spots that business leaders have is they don't they don't 
recognize the need for having a system for hiring the right sort of people for sales or in any role, but particularly in sales. So um, the focus, my belief, is the focus should be not on trying to find that one magical salesperson that's going to fit, but let's, how do we build ourselves a really good system and, and systems and processes to attract the right people? And, and what's our process for having an interview process or screening process so the only people we hire are the ones that are the right fit for the organization? So having a real process-oriented approach to recruiting rather than a goal-oriented approach. Let me find a good sales guy. Right? So that's one part of the question. The other one is, um, if, someone, if someone's asking me, Hey Nigel, where can I find a good salesperson yeah. from? Right, it, I get that it, question it, it, all the time. Where can I find a good salesperson? The, um, it, 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 to me, I, that that just sets off all those sorts of alarm bells because it's very wishy-washy, right? What What do you mean by a good salesperson? Yeah. Because a good salesperson for a fit in one organisation might be a terrible fit in another organisation. If we have a defined sales process, and actually, let's take sales out of it. Let's, you could put manufacturing, you could put accounting, you could put age, whatever it is. If you've defined the process, you, you, along with that process, you are also defining the skills, habits, mindsets necessary to do that role well. Yeah, so point. let's yeah. define that and now ask ourselves the question, who might be the best fit for that? Does, does that make sense? So, yeah, so that's reverse, a, it's a, a very way of different. Thinking. Yes, it's yeah. a different. Um, it's a different way of thinking. Different totally. from just from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. They tend to start with the traits first, and then try and fit them in. You're saying get the system right first, understand what you're looking for, and then find the person to fit that. Yes, that, 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 that's exactly right. Um, there, but 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 are there common traits though? Yes. Uh, having said that, there are some common traits. Um, and I, I can I can run through some, some of these common traits. Yeah, it's just interesting. And, and, by, and by the way, yeah, successful people, successful salespeople especially, they're easy to they're very easy to spot when they're in their role. If you go to the um, the NEC, I'll, I'll go there, and you're walking around one of the trade shows there, it's it's sort of easy to spot the good salespeople. You know, they've got that. Very, they're very comfortable with themselves. They're, got a, they're very pleasant. They've got a nice way about them. They're, they have a tremendous belief in, in the products, that, what, what they're doing. Um, and they're easy to spot. Now, if you're interviewing people that don't have a job and you're in a situation where you're the hiring manager and you need a salesperson to fill a role, if we're not careful, we set ourselves up for a bit of a road crash because you're going to have two needy people meeting meeting each other and that needy salesperson person who's a very good per salesperson may look identical to the very needy salesperson that's a terrible salesperson got it does, does that make sense so yeah. they're easy to spot when they're um when they're in a role so what i recommend to a, to a lot of my clients is start creating a talent bank a, a people bank Whenever you meet someone that's good, you like you know you meet them in the lobby, you meet them at a wedding, you take meet them note whatever. Of them. You just say, "Hey, do you have a, do you have a card on you?" Or take a little note. Yeah. Then you 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 call them up when you got some time a few days later, have a little chat with them. Hey, by the way, just 
we're not hiring and I'm sure you're not looking for a new job, but do you think anything might change for either one of us in the future? Oh yeah, should we keep in touch? Great, and you might even suggest a coffee meeting. If you have a coffee meeting with someone where there's no job on the table and no pressure on either side, you'll find out everything you need to about that guy. So tip is meet as many people as you can that are talented, you've seen something with yeah. them, stay in touch with them, which means you're being proactive. And when the situation comes where you need to fit, find yes. someone, it's not a needy situation. It's not a, yeah. And then you've met them, you've almost got an idea of what they're about, and you have three or four clubs three or four of them and you can start to pin down one of them yes so it, so here's my mindset or a philosophy about this um, just as prospecting for new business is yeah. the lifeblood of a salesperson yeah. prospecting for the ta talent is the lifeblood of the organization and that's the responsibility of leadership yeah everyone at top table should know that their role is to have their antenna up looking looking for good people they don't even need to plan any different activity other than what they're normally doing in day-to-day -day activity. It's just have your antenna up. And when you spot someone good, you've know, got to know what to do that, with that, which, which is you link with them on LinkedIn, you say hello, to them, you get their, get their details, they go in your, your talent bank, and you stay in touch with them. Does, does that make sense? So a lot of people do this. And I didn't realize, but years ago, my previous life when I was working for this German automation company, I would get every Christmas, I would get half a dozen Christmas cards regularly from the same people that I'd only ever vaguely met once at a trade show. And of course, I was in their talent bank. Does, does yeah. that make sense? That's all that had happened there. And they're, wait, they're waiting for that moment where I fall out of love with my boss. And that's the purpose of this. You, you have a talent bank and, and if you know that Good people okay. fall out of love with the, with the boss, with the company. About every three years, something happens. You know, they, they get a new boss or they get a new system of process or their wife has to move and they can't move with it. And something happens every three years on average. So you get enough, pe enough people in that talent bank and you're staying in touch with them. It's, you will, it's identical to prospecting. It's, it's the same thing as it's prospecting. It's yeah, same concept. Now, I was reading, I should have read this much earlier, a book called the influencing making friends Dale Carnegie oh, I, love, I love that yeah. it's a classic yeah. now, now how, yeah <laughs> I think it was how to win friends and influence people yeah, yeah. Dale it's, Carnegie it's, uh, I oh. think that might be in the first sales book I ever read oh, right right now so now he talks about and I haven't finished yet yes. I only just got cracking on it can't believe I haven't read it before yeah. uh, but he talks about being positive talks about um, really being positive mindset but yeah. making friends using influential skills how can you spot that with somebody is, is that the way they speak to you, you can tell this is the kind of person that could become a salesman and, and and by definition somebody who's introverted could they also become good salespeople? you know you made the point earlier you can spot them on a stand when you walk yeah. in they've got that sort of something about them does that mean introverts can't become salespeople? Introverts can, can make great salespeople. Um, and, and that, it's a myth. There are, when you look at everything that needs to be done in, under the big, huge umbrella of sales, um, part of it includes um, prospecting and networking and talking to lots of people. Yeah. An introvert will, 
who is more than capable of doing that, it will require a bit more effort on their part. Now, there are some things in sales that the extrovert um, tends to be pretty bad at, that the introvert is very good at. And that, for example, is finalizing all those last few critical details. So an extrovert mm, might right. finish up a conversation with someone where they say, hey, yeah let's, let's, yeah, let's get back in touch sometime next week. Oh, yeah, that's great. The introvert may, uh, this isn't always a direct correlation, but a lot of introverts are a lot more detail-oriented. And they'll, they'll, say to that, they'll say to that person, great, happy to. What, when, what's a good day for you? What time? Am I calling you? Are you calling me? Are we doing it by Skype? Are we doing it by Zoom? Are we doing it by phone? And that is something that will really trip up the um, gift of the gab salesperson, I, I, makes all these friends, doesn't nail them down. I think that's a brilliant example. And I've had that. I've had people talk to me really outlandish, very upfront, a yeah. lot of bubble. I'll ring you next week. And they don't. Doesn't do it, yes. And they don't do it. And they don't do it. And then you meet other people, not so flamboyant, easy to talk to, they'll follow up, and they'll ring you next week. And guess what? They do. And guess what? They follow up with an email, and they do the deal. Yes. And that, so you're absolutely right. You're yes. absolutely right. It's almost a combination of both things, really, isn't it? Exactly. And that's so introverted people bring an awful lot of, of great stuff to the sales table, as well as extroverts. And understanding those strengths, and this is how you might really build a sales team. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to have everyone, just like my Model T production, for, you know, like, you don't have to have everyone great at everything. So long as amongst the team, you've, you've, you've got all the right talent there that you need. So you don't need 10 people who shout all the time. You need a few of them that can... Yeah. And, and it's interesting, sometimes it's the one who's not flamboyant that ends up doing a lot of the, yeah. lot, lot, lot of the sales. Yeah. Having, uh, having said that, um, oh, and I shared with you for the magazine the sales quadrant. Yep. <laughs> All right, which we can come to in a second. But there's one um, competency that is a real must-have for okay. sales. Okay. And that is ambition and drive. If people with ambition and drive um, will make great salespeople, if they see an obstacle, they'll find a way around it. If... Um, if they have a skill set that they're no good at, they will get frustrated and they will then focus on that skill set and get good at it. So um, before I really want to consider any candidate, I have to be assured that they have the ambition and drive necessary. So is that why, and this is just personal yeah. experience, every entrepreneur I've met, high achiever, has those traits. And they're very good at selling. Yes. They're very good at selling. Um, but then equally, I think quite a few of them then get frustrated by the people they employ who don't have the same drive and yes. ambition. And then they think, well, this guy's just not good at selling. That comes down to the unconscious competency. Does that, does that make sense? So, so the ambition and drive for them is an unconscious thing. They've just got it internally. And they assume that everyone else has they that. And, and then they, it takes people a long time to realize that not everyone is wired like we are. But one of the best things I think, that, and I love the Dale Carnegie uh, reference there you made there, I think uh, uh, something else that I see in common with all great salespeople and great leaders is they spend an awful lot of time trying to understand the human condition. 
that so it, whether it's reading the books about Dale Carnegie or, or, or studying transactional analysis, um, going to the self-help section of the bookstore, you know, understanding the human condition is something that's extremely important for the salesperson. Because here's the question I might ask a sales salesperson in an interview. I might ask them a question, two questions. Um, why do people buy? Second question might be, how do people make buying decisions? Now, when I ask those two questions, quite often, what I'll hear back from that person is what, why they buy and how they make decisions. So, and, and, so, and then what I realize at that point, that, that person is operating on the assumption that everyone's like them. Yeah. And that's not the case. A really good salespeople, the person understands that people buy for their reasons, not for ours. And my job as a professional salesperson is to try and understand what that reason is. Also, they'll have a decision-making process that'll be unique to them. So my job is to understand that decision-making process. And how do you do that? Well, a, a great question. We, my belief is we have to have a system and process for understanding how people buy and how people make decisions. So there's a process that we can go through, go through with them. And um, if you read the book, you can't teach a yeah, kid to buy yeah, that. Yeah. We've got a lot of that in there. A lot of questioning, isn't a there? Lot of, a lot of it, questioning to right. get to that understanding of what they want to. Yes. A lot of questioning. It's about the questions you ask. Most salespeople operate under the assumption that if I tell them all this great stuff about our wonderful product and show how logically they're going to get a tremendous return on investment, they'll buy, you know? And certainly, I spent a long time as an engineer working with other engineers in the sales role. And that was my assumption. If we have the best mousetrap, everyone's going to want to buy it. It's logical. But people don't buy logically. They buy emotionally. And good salespeople understand that. They'll buy for their own personal emotional reasons. They'll justify the decision downstream um, intellectually. <laughs> But that decision to do business with someone is a personal emotional one, based a lot on everything that happened before that, which is creating an environment of trust. There's a school of thought that when you hire, you want to hire people who have failed. And they say, you want to hire people who have failed because they've got the thick skin which is what you need for sales and if they have a history of gone through failures they're now ready for this because with sales and maybe that's where you talk about people desperate to sell is you need that thick skin of people saying no to you and you not then taking it personal and saying so so if you talk about that personal trait Is it possible that the most successful salespeople would then make the most awful sales managers? And that if they're really, really good at something, you just leave them at it. Don't ask them questions. Just say, go and do what you need to do. Go and ask all the questions you need to ask. As long as the numbers look good, back to your numbers again, uh, we're not going to put you in charge. Because I've heard so many examples, because they're not being trained, of successful salespeople assuming would make great managers. Yeah. A bit like footballers really, some of the best footballers are the most awful 
yes. football managers. So, advice: Would you keep people who are great salespeople there, or would you? Or would you? Yeah, would you it's, a, it's a common trap that companies fall into. Uh, they assume that their number one salesperson, because they're really good at selling, if they make him the sales manager, he'll get everyone else doing everything like he did, and and then they find out the hard lesson they find out with that is that they have now lost their best salesperson and they have hired the worst manager they ever had so but, and then the reason for that is if you uh, again going back to my production line and my sales process and you look at everything that needs to be done to, for that to be successful looking at those competencies and those skills they are very different from the management process that, for example Ambition and drive, that desire to win, great in a salesperson. But in a sales manager, I, I, I don't want that. I want them to have the desire to get their people to win. Does, does that yeah, make sense? It's a different, it's a yes. different, different a phrase. A salesperson, uh, when they win, they want to celebrate, take the glory. A sales manager, when, they, they, they want to be, when their salesperson has a win, they want to be able to, ah, great job, you, you know? So... Um, uh, coaching, for example, it, coaching is a tremendous. If, if I'm hiring a, for a sales manager, I want to know that they've got the right competence and the skill set, and they understand about coaching. And they can be coached. And, and yes, so I want to hire salespeople that can be put coached. That's I want right. a sales manager that can coach. Yeah. But a good salesman doesn't. This doesn't necessarily make a great coach. Does that make sense? Um, running a pipeline meeting. Now, that might be a regular activity for a sales manager is to be able to run a pipeline meeting. What's in the pipeline and be able to yeah. do that? Well, the skill set required for that is very different from what is required of a salesperson. So they are two completely different uh, roles, different skill sets, different attitudes required for those. Is that yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, absolutely. That doesn't mean that a good salesperson won't make a good sales manager but you can't the danger is most people assume that they will and that's absolutely not the case right so if if most people get on with most people generally speaking if most people you can chat to in a pub therefore by definition they could probably sell I think I think they can sell I think most people are born hey with, everyone with, sells yeah you're you married yes i'm married there you go so there's probably some place you want to go for a holiday once we can right and you're probably campaigning with your wife to make sure you can get a place that you want to rather than the one she wants to go to like we're all selling stuff we're all negotiating <laughs> yeah. and selling all yes. the time yes. and, and and i know the way the way that i sell my for example my my son i remember when he was seven eight years old huge he, he, it was awful trying to get him to take a bath you know so as parents, we learn the psychology of, of our kids and we learn what it is we need to do in order for them to go take that bath. So I, I would say to my son, oh, Charlie, I'm, re I'm really sorry. Um, we're not going to have enough time for the bath tonight because I know you want me to read your bedtime story, but we can't do both. And now what does my son do? He leaves upstairs to the bathroom to prove me wrong to have the bath. Does that... Does that Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not about persuading. Persuading and convincing, um, that's old school sales stuff. If, how do you feel when someone is trying to persuade you or convince you of something? 
Yeah. You, 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 you dig in. You dig in. And, and, and you fight back. So um, if we, we know if we're talking to our friends and family, we know we gotta, if we want them to do something, we've got to talk to them carefully. You have to influence them. <laughs> yes, that's it. So, 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 so if, if we're all capable of it then. Yes. Yeah, and we do it every day. Yes. In a different context. It's interesting, isn't it? Observation. Yet we can't persuade them to sell. Yet they've all got the competence to do it because they do it every day. But you put them in a formal situation and say, you've got to sell. People just completely yeah. clamber. So, so is that, is that, is that schools that fail? Is, is, why have we got that? Why can't we make use of talent that's there, but they've been, because of media, we, we talked all about yeah. the, the connotations. Well, why have we never taught people that they can be great salespeople from a young age? But you know, you know, in that sort of give it a positive twist yeah. rather than a negative. I, yes, and no, and I, I think it's I think it's even worse than that because you know I remember shopping for a, a, a birthday present for, for my dad. I must have been five, six years old uh, um, at one of the the, uh, the old department stores that you get, yeah. and I'm there as a six-year-old trying to. Does, does my brown socks, blue socks, or maybe a handkerchief? I, I wonder, and this is a high-pressure decision for a six-year-old because my father's the source of all my pocket money. I've got to get this one right. And at that moment, this guy turns up, and he, he's, he's big, he's tall, he's wearing a jacket and a tie. He looks like my dad, and he comes along and says to my mother, um, can I help you, madam? And uh, right at that moment, it, it's as if he, he changed into Superman. You know, he had the big, he's going to save the day. He's big, he's tall. He'll know exactly what my, my dad would like for his birthday. And my mother then turns around to this guy and looks at him and says, no, thank you, we're just looking, and pulls me away. And I'm thinking, what, what? And my mum taught me at a very early age, not only is it okay to lie to salespeople? <laughs> but you have to. Does that make sense? So yeah. we're fighting. So we're conditioned. All that we're stuff. conditioned. We're yeah. conditioned. That really, uh, that, that squirrely feeling that we've got inside us. And if we don't address that first with our people, you, 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 you can't get them, you can't so get them it, focused on sales. Does so that make sense? what you said earlier. You said we all want to buy, but we don't want to be sold to. Exactly. So when it comes to getting, built, creating a sales culture in an organization, we've got to make sure we're working on the right end of the problem. And it's the stuff that's going on in between pe people's ears that we have to work on. And, and that's why I said, um, if you're running an organization, everybody sells at home, everybody sells wherever they go, yet when you ask them to sell and to be a salesperson for your organization, the shutters come up. Yeah. The shutters come up. but. For the best performing organizations and for the best performing culture, you really need everybody switched on. So when the phone call comes from a customer, they understand that it's just being pleasant they to under, people. They understand their, their role in this. And, and um, we teach this thing called flip calls. Um, okay. When someone that's not in the sales department is in a conversation with a customer or with someone yeah. just on the phone, and now they mention something that the, we're thinking, God, there's probably a sales opportunity there for yes. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want to sell. That's not my role. That's not very good at it. But, but, but if that person has been taught to say to them, oh, hey, that sounds like that might be something 
um, that's important to you, but I'm maybe not the person that is capable of having that conversation with you. Um, could I introduce you to so-and-so who, will, who is more informed and can take the conversation further? So getting that person just to do what we call it a flip call. You're just passing the yep. thing to the right person. Now they, getting them confident that they can do that, anyone can do that. That's not selling in their mind. That's just getting them to the right person. Pretty silly. So, yeah, yes, but for the whole organization, the whole, when you look that's at right. that whole process, that's, that's right. the part they play in, this, in the process to, to funnel people to the right person. I was going to say, uh, we're, we're picking that up then, yeah. how to make sure it's permeated. Um, what are the sort of main sales blind spots that can trip people up in a sales? So you're filtering this through, but now you've got people on the road, account management. So what are their blind spots? What do they sometimes forget the obvious and, and jump into the sell, 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 sell? What are their blind spots? Yeah. I mean, you've talked about the leadership blind spots. Yes. But what about now you've actually got your sales job or business development role? Yes. And out you go and you think you've recruited the right people with or without the process. Then they go out. And what's the common mistakes these people make? What's their blind spots? Yeah. So um, I'll share with you a number of what I would consider sales blind spots. Yeah. Um, and some of these are attitudinal ones and some are behavioral ones. Um, in terms of mindset, people quite often fail to see sales as a process and they treat it as an event. Yeah. If we have a process, we can define the steps, fine-tune it, get better at every single step, and start to get better outcomes. Um, so, I mean, a, a, a great way to, to prove this to yourself is every time you come out of a sales meeting, um, and most people, when they come out of a sales meeting that went badly, yeah, or even okay. if it went well, yeah. they, at some level, they may be muttering to themselves under their breath, or they're even swearing at themselves in the car, damn, I should have done this, I should have done that. You know, they've got all these shoulda, wouldas going on in their head. I think if a salesperson can, can get, a, get a notebook, this is my 99p sales program, by the way. Okay. You get a notebook and you write down what the prospect said in one column and the next column is what I should have said. And if we were just to capture this day after day, meeting after meeting, we'd learn some really good lessons from those failures that you mentioned a while ago. Um, and then we start to understand that actually these are all learning opportunities for me to improve my process. And practice. So step two in this is before we go in to a sales meeting, let's pull out all those lessons learned that we have. And now before we go into that meeting, ask ourselves a few basic questions like, okay, um, what questions might they ask me? How should I respond to those? What are some of the key questions I want to ask? Hmm. What's my, um, uh, what's, what's a, a home run for me? Like what, what's, a, what's a, an ideal, amazing outcome from this? And what's the minimal acceptable? Uh, and 
in our training material, we, we, for, for students of the Sandler, they'll know that what I'm about to talk about is the upfront contract. So therefore, what's my upfront contract going to be for this meeting? My initial agreement for the meeting. A lot of preparation. Sorry? A lot of preparation. Lot, yes. Lot so of, of ask a salesperson how much time, if you've got a sales meeting that's going to last an hour, how much preparation time do you put into it? How much preparation time should you put into it? Rule of thumb, if we're going to have a meeting for an hour, we're probably going to want to spend an hour on prep. Um, does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people don't. They just wing they it. Don't. They turn up. The prep is, I know this because I've been in this situation. Uh, I'm with one of my sales guys. We find ourselves parking in the parking lot. And I turn and go, oh, who are we seeing now? And, and he says, oh, we're seeing XYZ Company. Okay, and we're getting our stuff. Walk it. So in between the car and the lobby, that's our prep. <laughs> you know, not good. Not good. So is that the process you're talking about? That's the sort of systematic way yes. of preparing? As, as part of our process, we should be doing a, a pre-call plan and a post-call debrief. If you're a sales manager, the, one of the ways to really improve performance from your sales team is to help them with a pre-call plan uh, and, and a post-call debrief. And if, if, if I'm recruiting and hiring salespeople, I like to recruit and hire people that have already developed the habit of a pre-call plan and a post-call debrief. I, I tell you what's interesting about what you've just said. Um, I was in education for a small time and lecturers and teachers were always asked to prepare a lesson plan. Yes. So in other words, lesson starts at 10 o'clock, yes. finishes at 12 o'clock. You detailed to me, so their boss would say, show yes. me what you're doing, or Ofsted, Yes. between 10 and 12 and how you you think that those two hours or one hour is yes. going to go so you're forced into preparing and and i suspect Nigel, you're absolutely right if you apply that same strategy yes. to sales i'll be astonished yes. well i haven't done it is that when i well, wait a minute i this is an unconscious competency for you okay it? How long did we before this uh, interview today? Yeah, we. Spoke. How long did we? We did a pre, we did a yeah, pre-interview plan, didn't yeah, we? We did. We did. We went over that, and again before we started it, we just reviewed it. Yeah, we did. Before we started, and you've also told me, hey Nigel, at the end of this, can we have a few minutes at the end of all this other stuff? We'll do a little debrief. Does, yeah. does, does that make sense? So yeah. you, this is an unconscious competency from you. Yeah. Now, but but, but but you're right. But I think I've the times when I was uncomfortable is when the person on the other side of the table knew more about me because they'd Googled it and had worked it out. And that's when I realised, I remember, I thought, I'm not prepared for this. Ah. And that's when I learned, ah, one so next you've time. Got a pre, you have a pre-call yeah. planning process. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. yes, you did. You asked me, hey, can I have one of your books or two of your books? And we did all that. Yes, that was great. Right, so, okay, so now let, let, let's take your sales quorum because we're getting quite close to finishing this. So yep. in, in the Business Influencer, you wrote a great piece. Um, and and, and I, th I thought it was very important. I thought it was very important, as, as I said at the start, any organization for it to flourish needs to have sales, needs to have revenue. And I think, and I could be wrong, but I, I think it's a, an area of business life that's neglected. I don't read much about it when I read stuff. And yet it's the cornerstone. So tell me a bit about the, the sales quadrant model that you talked about in the Influencer Magazine. If I could then just link... Um, about what does the future look like for sales in a digital world. So start with the sales quadrant first, yes. and then let's chat about how relevant sales is in a digital right. world. 
So, um, yeah, so the purpose of that sales quadrant, I think as far as our conversation goes, is um, remember you asked me earlier on how, how do we spot a good sales guy? What's yeah. a good, and, I, and I said, you know, that's, a, that's, a, it's, that's too vague for me really to have a good answer. Correct. And I, I think, so what um, some people do, the most common way of getting a bit more specific about this, and you've heard this expression, hunter versus farmer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that is a, um, a scale. Are they good at hunting or farming? It's a what we're looking here in that sales quadrant is, well, it's a bit. There's a bit more to it for sales than that. Um, so we've broken this down into f- four specific roles here, and along uh, and two axes. So along one axis, we've got um, the length of the sales cycle: short sales cycle, long sales cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, if I'm going into my uh, oh, sorry, and then the other axis is um, demand creation versus demand response. So, if I'm going into my local corner shop uh, and they've got the Mars bars on the side yeah. there, um, so I'd like a Mars bar. That would be twenty-five p, please. Yeah, that is a that that transaction is what we call the demand response transaction. The prospect turned up. I want one of these. So, yeah. And it is short. Does yes. that make, make sense? So that's just yeah, um, yeah, yeah. very transactional. Um, in mo- for most of my clients, what they're selling is something that is complicated, uh, high value, and it's going to be more than one meeting. Yep. And quite often, what they're looking for is someone that can proactively go out and create that demand they're not necessarily getting you know, I'm, I'm sure um, uh, you know lots of companies ar- around here need a need a new CRM or IT system right they're not necessarily calling CRM yeah. it for that but what will happen is if if someone from one of those companies turns up and has the right conversation with them they'll be able to generate that bit of demand you know, by asking a few questions yeah. instead of saying we're great at this they'll ask a few of the appropriate questions it's like hey don't suppose you're worried about whether you're really conforming to the gdpr stuff or ever get annoyed that customers slip through the cracks and, and you don't have the data on that they want to or blah 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 they'll throw out they'll just ask a few questions and um that'll resonate with the prospect and they say yeah yeah it is and then the salesperson might then ask hey is that important enough for us to schedule a proper meeting? Maybe set aside an hour or so to, to, to do this? And now we're into a, um, a sales process from a guy that's good at de- generating demand. Does, 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 yeah, yeah. Does, so, does that so, make sense? Yeah. So, so it's demand generation and demand response and short sales cycle, long sales cycle. Those are the two axes on that. So when we're running assessments for salespeople, I'm going to look to see if they have the competencies that are different for each of these quadrants. So first of all, we've got to figure out what, what's the company strategy, what, what's their sales strategy, which quadrant or quadrants, plural, might they put this in, and what are they hiring for for this? And then we hire someone that's just a better fit for that quadrant. Does that Got make it. sense? So now, we, we, by picking the top right-hand quadrant there, we say, hey, we're, I'm looking for a top right-hand quadrant guy. Okay, that's a bit more specific. So uh, almost when I read, read the book, uh, I read both of them, yep. um, you're pinning it down to 
that for a high performance business in sales, it all starts from the recruitment. If you if you get the recruitment right, the rest will follow. And that, that's a bit of a quadrant and, and also some of the things yeah. that you need to ask. Um, it, does that explain why, one, people say, can't find salespeople. Two, God, we keep losing salespeople all the time. Is it basically they can't get the recruitment right? Or is it that they, yeah, well, that would be, yeah, because they I, can't hit the numbers, can they? Yeah, they well, can't I, the well it, I, so one of my clients, <laughs> one of our, uh, I run a monthly um, sales leadership group. And one of them came up with a great one-liner. Um, a light bulb had gone off for him and he just shared that with the group and, and, and he, he slapped himself on the forehead and, and said, oh, he says, I spend 5% of my time on recruiting and hiring and then I spend 80% of my time dealing all the, with all the problems caused by the bad recruiting and hiring. And, and th- that was a light bulb moment that he had. But, but I think that's the case for a lot of people. They, they don't spend enough time on recruiting on recruiting and hiring so they get the right people. And then they're dealing with problems downstream. But why is it more churn in sales than any other department? Is it because it's sales, it's numbers driven, you can measure people's performance? Because they are, it's the highest churn, isn't it? I mean, you always get, oh, he's moved on, he's moved on. And- yeah, well, you know, some companies that I've seen, they, they don't have, they should have more churn than they do. You know, they'll just keep bad salespeople forever. I think that's one of the things this COVID thing has done is it's really highlighted for organizations the the people that are real producers and the ones that they're just carrying. Yeah, you know? a lot of businesses have So there that. will be a big they've shake just, up there. They've for discovered, that. they've discovered. Um, but I think the rather than blaming the salespeople, the sales candidate, I think we should look in the mirror. It you know are what are we, are we uh, what are we doing to attract the right candidates? Um, what are we doing in terms of our hiring process to make sure we filter out all the bad ones? Uh, what are we doing in our onboarding program to make sure if we have made a mistake in that we can uncover quickly whether we've made a mistake? And more importantly, if, you know, if we don't have a good onboarding program, the A players, they get impatient and they, and they leave. Because this churn isn't just caused by bad, it's caused by good people. A lot, a, 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 quite often, a really good salesperson will arrive somewhere and realize there's no systems and processes in place as they were promised. Um, they're starting from scratch and the, the company doesn't have any systems and process for managing salespeople and they're off. There's, they'll go somewhere else. Does Interesting. that make sense? Interesting. Um, you know, you, you turn up and, and find out that there's no um, incentive plan that makes sense and that incentive plan is constantly being changed. You'll lose people that way. Um, if you don't have good systems and processes for managing them or for coaching them, for debriefing them, for helping them become successful, good salespeople will leave. Extraordinary. We haven't even gone into how to close a deal, how to start a deal, <laughs> yeah. how to prospect. That's- because what, you, what you're talking about, is, it's quite fascinating. Uh, and before I sort of pick yeah. up and sort of summarize it, just a quick one. Um, salespeople have to be adaptable. They have to change with the times. Um, Digital's here. More and more people through COVID were ordering goods through transactionally, didn't need need advice. Um, Have we lost the salesman forever? Uh, (laughs) uh, 
I, I hear a lot of your listeners now saying, I wish, because you know, that's, that's the impression I have of salespeople. Well, here's, here's what I think. Good salespeople are, are aware that there's the one cons- constant in life is change. Stuff's always changing. Um, some of those prospecting activities, for example, that used to work great uh, last year, no longer work this year. Some of the stuff that was working great this year may not work next year. So really good um, salespeople have that adaptability to to change and change quickly. Um, And I forgot your question. Is the salesman dead forever? Are they sales dead? Well, I think the salespeople that do not change with the times... They're dead. ...are dead. Yeah. Um... All those people that are sitting back on their laurels, uh, thinking, well, great, I've, I've got uh, 30 years' experience in this industry, I know this, that, and the, uh, the other, that, that, that they've learnt a whole bunch of stuff that is now no longer relevant. Today is an opportunity for the learners, not the learned. And, and, and it's extraordinary, Nigel. Um, I tell you what I find everywhere I go. Because you know we do the signature awards, we do the natural awards. Yeah. So, uh, and through the magazine, we meet entrepreneurs all the time, and they say to me, the most difficult challenge they have is sales, without a shadow of a doubt. Finding the right salespeople is the most difficult. Yes, retaining salespeople is the most difficult. Uh, making sure that organization as an entity is sales orientated. Because these are the entrepreneurs who are so driven, they just can't understand why nobody yes. else is, is, is the same. And, and what we found through COVID is yes, there's more digitization, but without sales, you're still not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, because fundamentally, the, 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 the sales role has, it, it's, it's not changed at all. No. What, what we do is still exactly the same, how we do it is completely different, but what we do is still the same. We're still prospecting, winning new business, account management, getting referrals, prospecting. We're still doing that, but how we do it now is very, very different. So uh, we've all found, I think a, well, a lot of my clients have found that some of their sales team have adapted superbly to this new world and instead of having just just yesterday I was having a conversation with a guy he used to be able to have two or three good appointments each week that was all he could do during COVID he's been able to have five meetings a week Uh, sorry five meetings a day not Mm. not five not five a week five meetings a day because it's all by Zoom he hasn't had that driving time. All of a sudden now, his prospects that expected to see him in person are now more than happy to do it by Zoom because they're using Zoom at home for everything. The cat's really out of the bag with that. So a couple of things I'm going to finish with. Um, some observations. Yeah. Observations are that um, organizations get it wrong at the start. They don't have the right process in place in recruitment. They don't know how to... Um, keep those people because they get they don't understand that need they need coaching. Some people don't understand the personality traits that you need. 
I thought it was an interesting point you made about that. How good is your sales process? Sometimes when somebody joins you, do they know what what they've got to do? It's interesting that you talk about sales as being part of the culture and how you train that culture. So people at the top, very top, need to be trained on how to introduce that culture. You great gave a great example of how actually your salesman has got to be have the have the detailed mind of an introvert and have the enthusiasm of an extrovert. And in fact, if you can have a bit of both, makes it really, really good. Um, you've talked about making sure that once someone's joined you, that you understand how to look after them, because if they if you look after them, they'll stay with you. Uh, you've said that actually everybody can sell and it's making sure that everybody understands they can sell, but maybe using different words because they sell all the time. You've talked about the importance of training, of making sure that people understand how to sell. You've talked about the importance of conversation, the importance of questioning. And actually what you really finished with is that sales has been important ever since business started. And I think as long as sell business continues, you will always need the role of a salesperson. Because ultimately, I think if you're selling to someone, and I think you said it's understanding human behavior. And as long as humans buy products and humans manufacture products to sell to humans, I think the salesman is here to stay. The salesman will always be here to stay. And I think it was, and I'm looking forward to your next contribution towards the magazine. Because I think those who ignore the importance of sales, salespeople and sales processes won't be around very long. I think it's completely key. Tell me if I've missed anything. <laughs> no, I love the summary. That was great. I think if there's, there's maybe one thing that I didn't mention. Go on. And I'll just leave this. Is the, another key blind spot. Go on. Sharing best practice okay good yeah so um i do, i work with a, a lot of different companies and, and and it's funny because they, they may may ask me to join them in a in a sales meeting once a month i thought that was mine then no, i don't know why i'm there it's okay so um that they may ask me to join them once a month or, or once a week once a week with their salespeople for 60 minutes and we discuss sales best practice what have they done what have they changed how did that work out is that something anyone else can use and i'll maybe just share a little bit of new stuff with them but essentially we're looking at best practice and i you know i asked my clients hey do i even need to be there like if you spent as an organization with all the relevant people if you spent an hour a week sharing best practice looking at that little 99p notebook <laughs> all the mistakes you made all the things you could overcome it, what do you think would happen to sales? And, and I think that if organizations don't have a way of doing that, giving sales enough emphasis to have a one hour of best practice every week, um, facilitated or non-facilitated, then uh, it's very difficult for them to um, convey the right sales is important as a culture and it's very important, for, uh, very difficult for them to grow as an organization. I, I think the last takeaway that I, I thought was fantastic 
and, and, and we'll close there, is we spend so much time prospecting for sales, we forget to spend the same time on recruiting for sales. Yeah. And I thought that was fantastic. If, if there's nothing else any other business lead hasn't taken away, <laughs> ask yourself at the end of the week, did I go searching, not for sales, but for people the who talent. will accommodate that skill, yeah. that sales, talent management. And the most difficult talent, I think, you can produce the best product in the world, but if you can't sell it, you're going nowhere. Nigel, thank, thank you, you very much. That's been fantastic. Lots of takeaways. And uh, very much look forward to your next, next article for the Business Influencer Podcast. And thank you for taking that time today to talk to us. Thanks. Great. Hope you enjoyed uh, this episode, and if so, please do leave a review. It all helps in promoting the podcast. Oh, and by the way, have a great day.